Hey there, this is Mark Scarborough, and this is the podcast Walking with Dante, a podcast that, as you know, is slow walking through Dante's masterwork comedy. We are in the second canticle, Purgatorio. We are at the end of the second canto. Canto 2, lines 118 through 133. You can find this, my English translation of the Medieval Florentine, on my website, markscarborough.com or walkingwithdante.com. They go to the same place. You can print it off. You can make notes. You can read along. Or you can start a conversation about this very passage or others that you find on the site. There's some great conversations happening on that site. Very interesting insights that I would never think think of. So it is so gratifying that you would take the time to go there and drop a comment about something in the passage that has struck you, much of which has never, of course, struck me. What's happened? Well, we are on the shores of purgatory. We have been here for quite some time. An angelic boat has arrived. It's dumped off more than a hundred souls. They have been caught up in a song. It Turns out it's one of Dante's own canzone or long form poems from his work Convivio. They've been listening to Casella sing it. They've been very soothed by this song, but everything is about to change at the end of the canto. Here we are, the finale of Canto 2, lines 118 through 133 of Purgatorio. We were all transfixed and gave our full attention to his melodic notes when, behold, the honorable old man appeared out of nowhere and cried, What's up, lazy spirits? What utter negligence is this holding you all in this spot? Run to the mountain to get rid of the slough that keeps God from being made manifest to you. As when doves pecking at wheat or tares will peacefully flock to a pasture without their usual air of prideful strutting, yet when something appears that they fear, they'll all at once forget about eating because they've been bashed about by bigger concerns. So did I see this new band of souls leave off the song and flee toward the slope like men who hurry away even if they don't know the road ahead. We, too, bolted out of there just as fast. Well, that is a dramatic ending to this canto, to say the least. I'd like to notice a couple things in this passage before we turn to the larger problem of the honorable old man's response, or as we know he is, Cato's response. Let's talk about a couple other things first. In the last episode of this podcast, I talked about refusing love and being human. I kind of want to summarize that because I think it helps us come into this passage. I said that Casella sings this song from Dante's Convivio. The song is about the direction of love, but the inability of the poet to follow that direction. Basically, there are two different ways that it seems to me that Dante is setting up that you can refuse love. You can refuse it through weakness. And we talked a little bit about this in the last episode of the podcast. That is, 
in that canzone, that song from the Convivio, the poet seems to push back against love as a direction because of A, a limited intellectual ability, and B, language itself will not permit him to write exactly what love would like him to write. There are two ways through deficits, through weaknesses, that you can resist love. But there's another way, and this is Casella's way. Casella clearly turns down the angel's call to the boat. Don't get in the boat, Casella. You don't want to go to purgatory for some reason. And so Casella wanders around for at least three months, but maybe much more time before that. The angel, as you recall, was selecting souls in and out of the boat for purgatory. Now the angel seems to be taking everybody, but Casella's like, no, I don't want to get in. Casella can willfully turn down the angel's call. Listen, there must be nothing greater about love than the call of an angel to the afterlife of the redeemed. So there are various ways that you can refuse the call of love through intellectual deficits, through language deficits. You just can't express what you mean or through a willful action of some kind. I just don't want to. And that that I don't just want to is apparently as strong as the deficits and linguistic problems brought up by the canzone in the convivio. That's where we were last time. Let's move on to this passage and notice two things before we get to the big matter of Cato's reappearance. There appears to be an ongoing Dove program in comedy. This was first pointed out in an article by R.A. Schoff in 1975, an article he published in Dante Studies. And he's the first one, and I love this that it's taken this long to get here. He's the first one that has noticed there is a Dove thematic in comedy. Here's what I mean by that. In each of the three canticles, in Inferno and in Purgatorio and in Paradiso, doves come up. And we have them come up in this passage. Let me remind you of how they come up in Inferno. In Inferno, Canto 5, The Lustful, the poet calls the two souls, who we find out are Francesca and Paolo, off the wind, and they come down from Dido's presence. The lines there, starting at line 82, run like this. As doves, summoned by desire, their wings outstretched and motionless, move on the air, borne by their will to the sweet nest, so did these leave the troop where Dido is, coming to us through the malignant air, such force had my affectionate call. So those doves are called toward the pilgrim and Virgil because of their desire and because of the force of his call. These doves in this passage are quite different. Here, all the souls are gathered around. They're listening to this song. And the passage says, as when doves pecking at wheat or tares. So they're not on the air. They're now on the ground. Is that important? Is that an important change in the dove 
iconography. I know a big word. Iconography, the dove uh, representations in the poem. Pecking at wheat and tares will peacefully flock to a pasture without their usual air of prideful strutting. So in this case, they're not up on the air and they're not drawn by desire towards something. Instead, they're feeding quietly in a pasture. Yet when something appears that they fear, oh, fear, fear, Cato, is Cato to be feared? Yet when something appears that they fear, they'll all at once forget about eating because they've been bashed about by bigger concerns. In the first episode of Doves in Inferno 5, we have doves called by desire out of a pack who come almost against their will, but drawn by their desire and the force of the call. Here, we have doves scattered because of fear, because of mm, perhaps a reprimand. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Perhaps because they uh, know they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. But uh, listen, aren't doves supposed to be feeding? The first instance of doves are these doves of desire. The second instance are doves hanging around doing what doves do, eating dinner, and then all of a sudden they're disturbed and they scatter off. Notice the difference in the two images called toward scattering off. We'll have to wait for Paradiso to complete the dove iconography in comedy. Here we have a moment in which the doves are not in the right. Would we say that? Well, how can they not be in the right? They're eating. Aren't doves supposed to eat? Not in the right? I don't know. But instead, scared by something, and so flee off as these souls flee toward the mountain. Let's notice one other small point before we keep, <laughs> we keep skipping over Cato's reappearance. This seems to bring our plot back underway. Virgil and Dante hurry off just as fast as these soul's doves do at Cato's reappearance. So we're back underway at the journey at the end of Canto 2. I think this is really important for a couple reasons. One, the song is apparently unfinished. You'll notice that the canzone is interrupted. At what point is that canzone interrupted? I have no clue. But in the last episode of this podcast, I did only focus on the first, uh, to use a modern English word that's not right, the first stanza of that canzone. Because I knew that they're not going to get through the whole poem. Now, if you get through the whole poem in Convivio, love does explain ways to voice its desires despite the lack of intellect and the deficits of language. But we know that Casella doesn't finish the song because the passage clearly says it's interrupted. And in the middle of it, they go flying away and we're back to the journey. But let me also say this. We have been at the lowest point in purgatory for a very long time. Ever since Purgatorio Canto 1, line 112, we have been down here on the very bottom shore of purgatory. This is where Virgil plucked up the reed, where he washed Dante's face, where the angel arrived with the boat. We've been here a long time. 
at the lowest spot in purgatory. If you just think about how long we've been stationary here, how long we've been standing here on the shores of purgatory, it's interesting that so much happens with no journey. The comedy is a journey, right? We've talked about this a million times. It's a walk across the known universe. And yet, all of Canto Two of Purgatorio is no walking, is non-journeyed, is no forward momentum. Everybody is just there on the shore. Yes, souls do arrive in the boat, but then they all seem to hang out in the same spot where Dante and Virgil first found them, where they went at Purgatorio Canto 1, lines 112. This just all seems to be really important. The whole point is to keep walking. We haven't been walking for a very long time, and now suddenly we're running. We're running away from Cato, which brings us to this master problem of Cato. They're all transfixed. They're giving their full attention to the melodic notes. It's all very beautiful. And all of a sudden, bang, the honorable old man appears out of nowhere and offers his, mm, what does he offer? His condemnation, his reprimand, something. What's up, lazy spirits? What utter negligence is this? Holding you all in this spot, run to the mountain to get rid of the slough that keeps God from being made manifest to you. And indeed, they run off. I want to talk through some interpretations of Cato's reappearance. I've got several of them to get through. They're contradictory. And I'm going to tell you the ways this reappearance of Cato has been interpreted and some of the problems with those interpretations. Once again, as always, I may not land on a final answer. I kind of have one in the back of my head that I think, but still and nonetheless, these are the basic ways this strange and at first unanticipated reappearance of Cato has been interpreted. The most common way is this is a reprimand to Dante. Now, this is really difficult to understand if you're not completely conversant in comedy's criticism. So let me explain this. Since Casella is singing one of Dante's songs, his canzone from the Vivio, Cato reappears and basically says, get on with it. All right. The way this is often interpreted is the convivio is very much about Dante's search for wisdom. And we find out at the end of the new life that Dante wrote that he has basically found a new woman to attract him, wisdom or philosophy, and that this woman is a compensation for Beatrice's death. Beatrice has passed away. Now there's a new woman to follow philosophy rather than this kind of goddess of love figure who is Beatrice. So then, given all of that, and given that this song from Convivio appears here, this is then a reprimand to Dante to say, hey, you wasted your time with your unfinished work, Convivio. This is one of the poems from it. This has stagnated your journey. You haven't even started up the mountain. You're nowhere near even starting up the mountain because you've been focusing on the wrong things. This is a common, maybe perhaps even now the most common interpretation of Cato's reappearance, that it is directed 
kind of meta literarily at Dante the poet. I have a couple questions about this. I'm not going to say that I don't think this is it right, but I do have a couple of questions about it. One is who should write the convivio? Dante didn't publish it. He didn't circulate it that we know of in his lifetime. It's unfinished. If it is a reprimand to Dante the poet to get moving and quit wasting time thinking about philosophy when Beatrice awaits, then it is the worst kind of inside joke. It is the worst kind because this is the kind writers tell. They start to tell jokes basically based on their own writings that they get because they wrote it before. Uh, This is why late Faulkner is so hard to read. Because by the time you get to the last novel, The Reavers, it's all just an inside joke about having read Faulkner. And it's the worst mistake a writer can make. It's so self-enclosed. But again, I'm going to go back to my question Who's read Convivio? Who would get the joke outside of Dante the poet? If this is a reprimand to Dante, then why does it refresh them? These souls standing there on the shore do seem to be refreshed by this canzone. Why does it refresh them? It can't be because it's a bad move to have written the canzone. At least it can't because it refreshes them. And there can't be bad moves in purgatory, can there? Is it all about this thing that we've been talking about, the theology of wonder? That is, the pilgrim, Virgil, and all these souls off the boat are caught in awe or wonder at the wrong thing. That is, they're supposed to be in awe or wonder of God and God's plan, but for a moment they're in awe and wonder about human creation, a poem. That may seem right until you get farther down the road in purgatory and you find out that so much of purgatorio is about human artistic creation and the benefits of it. So, wondering about the wrong thing? I don't know. Is that how Dante the Poet is thinking about it right now, but he changes his mind over the course of writing Purgatorio, and human artistic production becomes what more effective, more uh, central to the concerns of Purgatorio? Maybe. I mean, this is, after all, as I've said a million times, a poem in progress. But there are actual problems with this common interpretation that Cato's reappearance is somehow a reprimand to Dante the poet. A, it's a terrible in-joke. B, who would get it other than we way down the road who have many, many more documents at hand? And C, why are they refreshed? And while we're at it, why are the doves eating? Can't doves have dinner? Don't they need to eat? I mean, is this normal for doves? Mm, Is it a reprimand? Maybe. But there are other explanations we might be able to give. What Cato says when he arrives is, what's up, lazy spirits? And he uses the word spiriti in the medieval Florentine. This is an interesting problem because Dante 
is not a spirit. <laughs> the pilgrim is bodily informed. We have known this from the beginning, but we have been highlighted this problem since the opening of Purgatorio, that Dante is in the flesh, and it's going to become even more of a problem in the cantos ahead of us. Here's a question. Is Cato's reprimand intended not for Dante, but for the souls off the boat? In other words, it doesn't really matter if Dante listens to this song or not. It's that this song has stopped the spirits off the boat from their progress up the mountain. Now, just (laughs) here's a problem with that. Just think about this. That means that Dante's poetic creation is capable of stopping God's redemptive plan for a moment. (laughs) That's a bit of a problem to say the least. I, I have to tell you that no critic I've read comments on the fact that Cato uses the word spiriti. He doesn't say, what's up with you people? He doesn't say, what's up with all you guys? Instead, he uses a word that seems to indicate the souls off the boat and maybe Virgil, although it's hard to place Virgil inside that rubric, but okay, and maybe Virgil too, but seems to exclude Dante the Pilgrim in some fundamental way. After all, Cato has been informed that Dante is embodied still. Is this reprimand even for Dante. And if it's not for Dante, does that mean that Dante's poetic creation is capable of stopping even the spirit's ascent to God? That says a lot about your poetic creation and a lot about its power. All right, let's pass on to a third possible interpretation. There are many critics, including Robert Hollander, who liken this scene to Moses coming down off Mount Sinai with the tablets of the law and seeing the children of Israel worshiping the idol, the golden calf. You know about this from the movie, The Ten Commandments, even if you haven't read it in the Bible. You know what I'm talking about. Comes down off the mountain. They're all dancing around the golden calf. Moses gets mad, throws down the tablets. They crack open. The earth cracks open. And Hollander says this is a moment similar to that. Well, there's several problems here. One is, I'm not sure the poem is the golden calf. It seems that that's an idolatrous worship. And this doesn't seem idolatrous. This seems as if they're being refreshed. In that case, it's definitely a moment in that case back in Exodus. It's definitely a moment in which the people of Israel are being wicked and, and you know, um, uh, turning their backs on the one true God. In this case, it doesn't seem like they're turning their backs on God. They're just kind of not doing what they're supposed to be doing. That's That seems to me a difference in scale. And so I don't really think that this idea of this is a similar moment when Moses arrives and says, you know, hey, you know, I got the Ten Commandments and you're worshiping an idol. And he cracks the, com- the tablets and the ground opens up and people die. and all. That seems too big. You know, It's a difference in scale for me. And I don't also see Cato as any kind of Moses figure. At least I can't see it in the text. So that reading of Cato's reappearance always seems to me just a little off, as if, you know, you've got this giant, loud reference, Moses and the Golden Calf, and this seems a much quieter pastoral scene. Maybe the problem here is delay. 
And this is an interesting problem. It's not the poem. It's not that the poem is in any way wrong. It is refreshing them. They're feeling better. But the problem is this delay. And this would get to the problem of the translation of the word scolio, which I translated slew in the text. Uh, Get rid of the slew that keeps God from being made manifest in you. This would be the problem that you're not trying to get off the muck that has somehow stopped you from climbing the mountain and getting closer to God. And so the reprimand is not about the poem, but about the delay. That's the crucial matter here. After all, Cato does say what's up lazy spirits, what negligence is holding you on this spot. He doesn't say, how come you're listening to this poem? He doesn't say, stop wasting your time with poetry. What he seems to say is you got other fish to fry, to use the English expression. That delay is the problem. And I touched on this earlier. We've had a lot of delay. We've been stuck here on the lowest shore of Purgatory since Purgatorio 1, line 112. We've been stuck here a long time without any forward momentum. And maybe all the talk about the canzone and all the talk about Dante somehow losing this other way to write in favor of comedy, maybe it's missing the point. Maybe the point here is that delay is no good. And if that's the case, and I want to tell you right now, this is basically where I come down, that it is a reprimand about delay and not about the poem. If that's the case, then it is a reprimand about a poem, but not the canzone. It's a reprimand. <laughs> if we want to take it meta-literarily, it's a reprimand about comedy, about purgatorio. You're hanging out without getting on with the business of getting up the mountain, Dante the poet. Get going. Now, true, this reprimand is directed toward the spirits, toward the spiriti. That's right. But still, delay has been the fundamental thematic in fact, of Purgatorio through parts of Canto 1 and all of Canto 2, hanging out, not doing anything. That is no way to make a plot. That is no way to make a poem about walking across the known universe. If it is a subtle meta-literary probe at the poet, it would be about his narrative technique, not in the canzone, but here in comedy. Here's a final way to look at Cato's reappearance. And you'll notice, by the way, and I should point this out, of course, you already know this, that Cato's not named in this passage. We assume it's Cato. And I think it's a good assumption, the honorable old man. I think this is a really fine assumption to make. Every critic has ever made it that this is Cato. I suppose you could push it and say, well, this is a different guy, but it's hard to then justify definite articles. The, not just unhonorable old man appeared out of nowhere, but the, that seems to indicate one we've already seen in some way. I, I, it has to be Cato. I, I, I don't see any way around it. But he, here's my last way. That Cato is a, well, for lack of a better word, 
ham-handed narrative device to get the poem moving again. His appearance here is a bit of a surprise. When last we saw Cato at Purgatorio 1, line 106, and he directed Virgil and Dante down to the deep down shore of Mount Purgatory to get the read, really it seems like Cato wasn't ever coming back. Cato says, don't come back here, go another way up the mountain that you'll find. Okay, fine enough. It seems at that moment as if Cato is never to reappear in the poem again, and yet, bang, here he is out of nowhere. I am not above the idea that Cato's reappearance is a ham-handed device to get the poem started again. I don't need Dante to be a perfect poet in any way, but if Cato is a rather, and I keep saying this, ham-handed narrative device to get the poem underway again, then we would expect the deductions derived from Cato's reappearance to be sloppy. In other words, if the poet's like, oh, my God, i got to get this thing going again. How am I going to do it now? i got him stuck listening to a song. Well, I don't know. I'll bring Cato back, and he'll scream at them, and then they'll scatter and start to run up the mountain. That's, that's a little looser and a little unintentional than I think it is. But let's pretend that you're writing this poem, and you're trying to figure out how to get them moving again, and you think, well, I'll bring Cato back. It's not exactly the most thought-out plan in this interpretation, and therefore the deductions from it, uh, the meta-literary connotations for comedy, for the canzone, for convivio, all of that would then be rather sloppy. We wouldn't then be able to account for the fact that people are indeed refreshed, that they are indeed having dinner like doves in a pasture, very pastoral and peaceful. We wouldn't really make sense of the word fear because it's a little bit of a sloppy device. And so the deductions that come out of it are sloppy. I don't actually hold this. Again, I don't need Dante to be a perfect poet, but I don't actually hold this as an idea. But it's one you could entertain and think about as you think through this passage and Cato's reappearance. And again, if Cato is somehow inserted into the text as just kind of a ploy to get the plot moving again, then all the deductions that we could derive from that are going to be sloppy too. Let me, let me just say, if you were writing a short story or you were writing a narrative of some kind and you inserted a detail... I don't know. Suddenly, you know, you have oh, a total coincidence of your main character run into uh, his mother who he hasn't seen in 30 years in a grocery store because you need something out of your main character to happen. We would expect that ham-handed coincidence of running into his mother in the grocery store to then have weirdly decentered rationalizations around it and decentered deductions derived from it. Let me read the passage one more time. Purgatorio, Canto 2, lines 118 through 133. We were all transfixed and gave our full attention to his melodic notes when, behold, the honorable old man appeared out of nowhere and cried, What's up, lazy spirits? What utter negligence is this holding you all in this spot? Run to the mountain, get rid of the slough that keeps God from being made manifest to you. As when doves pecking at wheat or tares will peacefully flock to a pasture without their usual air of prideful strutting, 
Yet when something appears that they fear, they'll all at once forget about eating because they've been bashed about by bigger concerns. So did I see this new band of souls leave off the song and flee toward the slope like men who hurry away even if they don't know the road ahead. We too bolted out of there just as fast. Thanks for listening to this episode of Walking with Dante. Thanks for being on the walk of Purgatorio with me. I so appreciate your being here. Subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss an episode. Rate it. Do all those things that I always ask you to do. Because as an unsupported podcast, and in fact, you might have heard my dog scurrying around above me during this recording. It's happening in my house. As an unsupported podcast. Sorry about that. I can use all the support I can get. Come back next time. We're going to finish off Cantos 1 and 2 with a final episode about parallels between Purgatorio 1 and 2 and Inferno 102. And then we're going to move on to more questions about what exactly Purgatory is. I'm Mark Scarborough, and I'll see you next time.